Welcome to the <laughs> City Speaking Podcast. The City Speaks, you try to follow obedient. Hey everybody, how's it going? Um, real quickly, uh, a couple dates, October 8th and October 9th. Uh, there's a production of Macbeth. It's being done by Shakespeare for All. I had the great fortune to be the assistant director for this particular production. Um, the entire cast, they're all students. Um, they were, you know, they auditioned and they got in and they're in this production. It's been a really... Really great process. Anyway, if you have time, if you like theater, um, come check it out. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, it's Macbeth, but, you know, as fun as Macbeth can be, I guess. Um, okay, so uh, let's see what what's going on. I'm That's right, I've just gotten back f- from Japan. Um, great, great experience. And actually, um, that leads me into this particular podcast episode. My guest today is the amazing, wonderful, and very thoughtful Elaine Ho. Elaine and I met a few years back uh, when she was in Hong Kong as an artist in residence. And over the years, we, you know, we kind of see each other here and there as we both sort of travel around the world doing our own diff- different projects. Uh, but we had a chance to reconnect at the No Limit Festival. And I asked her if she would be interested in doing the podcast, and she came on. And it was great because, you know, Elaine is quite fascinating to me as you you'll hear throughout the podcast um you know i felt she was able to cross borders and boundaries and connect with different communities in really interesting ways based on the kind of work that she does and just you know her personality and her background as well uh you know she's also studied around the world and she's traveled a lot and you know she keeps doing different projects she's publishing stuff she's designing stuff she does fashion media arts curating social enterprise i mean this girl keeps herself real busy And she loves hip-hop, so, you know, right there, you know she's dope. Anyway, we get into a lot of talk about culture and backgrounds and identities and and how fluid it is, you know, especially when it comes to comes to whose narrative your identity is is in, if that makes sense. Uh, But, you know, context is really important as well. Um, But anyway, I don't want to give away too much, you know, I'll stay to the list, stay, blah, stay to listen. Can I speak today? Stay to listen to the end of the episode. Uh, but I do know that Elaine and I. This is one thing I wanted to just let you guys know. You know, we, you know, we open a lot of doors in our discussion and a conversation. And you know, after we both listened to the podcast and you know thought about it a bit, you know, at some point we're going to want to go down and dig, you know, a bit deeper and articulate a few points better. <clears throat> based on things that we had opened up in this particular uh, uh, podcast there. So, you know, and by all means, if you have any questions, if there's anything you feel we haven't clarified or you want to, you know, share your thoughts as well, hit me up or leave a comment uh, if you're listening on SoundCloud. Anyway, after a night out with all of the artists at this festival, Elaine and I sit down at what we thought would be a quiet cafe in Koenji in Tokyo. Uh well, anyway, as you listen, you'll find out there's a lot more ambient noise that comes through. It's a little bit uh, ASMR triggering for some of you. I guess it might be. There's quite a bit of nice sort of clinking and clanking, uh, light ambient noise. But it's nice. It's a fun listen, I promise. And Elaine's great. All right, anyway, I'll stop. Ladies and gentlemen, Elaine Ho. The city speaks. You try to follow. We'll That's how they call it. Even the ones that okay. But they were different because mine had soft. Did it taste different? Yeah, yeah. Did the effects feel different? Well, I don't know. I guess you wouldn't know. Cause, yeah. <laughs> but you are clearly a coffee girl. 
Yeah, I have, um, it's still really one big addiction I haven't been able to get rid of. So are you recording? I am recording. Oh. Yeah, that's right. One big addiction I haven't been able to get rid of being in Asia, especially in China. It, now, of course, it's quite easy, but when I first moved there, there were only a few places where you could get a where decent you could get coffee. Okay. I mean, maybe, no, there was there already star there was Starbucks at the time, but I really tried to avoid Starbucks. So yeah, there were only a couple of places and it was hard to find and but I had to maintain this somehow. Maintain your your, my, uh, your my, habit. Yes, yes. It's really I'm I really if I don't have it in the morning when I wake up, I really am a, a bit completely out of it. So You're like a zombie you in the morning until you get your coffee. I already sensed that this morning. <laughs> Well, good. I'm glad we're getting your second cup in before we're doing this then. Yes. <laughs> so the reason why I wanted to have a chat with you just because we met quite briefly in the, in, the, in the past. We've met, but I feel like you, you, you're quite fascinating to me. Like you've traveled. And for me personally, and I'll explain why, mm-hmm. you've traveled quite a bit. You, you work in the arts and you do all these different kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. Um and culturally i find your background quite interesting can we just sort of start with that and just have just tell us a bit about okay you i think it's i have to say though i think there's a lot there's a really interesting juxtaposition between or disjuncture we could say between one how other people see us and of course how we understand ourselves and i really never saw myself as some sort of jet setting type or anything but i get of course received in that way quite a bit quite a bit and a lot of people tell me that i mean most people have no idea where i am and, and i see them after a while and they're like, so where are you living now this kind of question <laughs> and and it's so strange to me but it's just, it's the same also kind of thing about me having grown up in texas uh and for me, it's a, it was a completely, you don't think about it, about the environment that you were born into or grew up in. I wasn't born in Texas, but but that I grew up in. And as a child, everything, there's no such thing as abnormal, really. You, you just grow up and that's your life and that's normal. But since I've been away for so long and you start to absorb or like see how other people, especially, of course, outside of the States, maybe have a view or exoticize Texas, then I also start to do the same thing. And so I also have this sort of displaced relationship where I also think it's funny and exotic now that I grew up in Texas. <laughs> um, but you, I'm not answering your question, actually. But no, this that, is all but, fine. Keep, keep going. Keep, just, I've, never, I've never heard someone exoticize Texas before. But, really? But I, but I can... I think especially in Europe, because I spent... Uh, I lived for four years in Holland, uh, and especially in Europe, there's always this kind of uh, big open road fantasies for the Europeans of what America is like. And the, every European wants to do the road trip. And Texas, because of the TV show Dallas, um, uh. and I think that's one kind of imaginary that exists. Uh, and the whole cowboys and Bush and all of these kind of things. It's very weird, mm. I think. So two things there. One is um, I did a podcast with... Uh, a guy, him and his buddy, they, I want to say, I almost said road trip, but what they did was they hitchhiked. They started in Australia, made their way to Indonesia. Then they hitchhiked from Indonesia all the way back to England. Wow. And so just, but there is this sort of idea of, 
one thing he mentioned was as he went through the different countries, the culture of hitchhiking was different everywhere. Mm. So the idea of like sticking your thumb out didn't actually work for the majority of places. That's a very really quite yeah exa- yeah. So we don't really think about these things, but this is different. I have a friend who hitchhiked uh, all over China, and he said it worked quite fine there. The I mean, he's Chinese. Yeah,、okay. the thumb, the thumb. Did it? Yeah. So then I started to think, okay, maybe it is universal, but okay, it depends still on which country you're in. Well, he also in Kazakhstan apparently they do like a lot of. They discovered that they did a lot of carpool, like car ride sharing. So hitchhiking was sort of like inherent, like sharing your ride was inherent. In, you don't need to stick out. Right, but、then. but but part of it is you need to sort of pay. Hey, I'm going here. Can how much is it to go? And then people would just. Hop in the car and go. It's a carpooling. It's, it's Uber, but yeah, I guess so. Much、uh, <laughs> more ingrained into <laughs> right. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> so, so I mean, why tech? Why te- why Texas? Did your family just move there? Where you, where were you guys from? Where were they? Where were your parents from originally? My parents are、why、both、Texas? from Hong Kong、okay. uh, and grew up there, but born there. My, of course, further back there from China. Uh, I mean, my grandparents.、Sure. Uh, my mother's side of the family is from Fujian Province, and my father's side of the family from Guangdong Province. And then、uh, they both went to America quite young. I would say early twenties, and、uh, under the premises of study, but actually ended up staying illegally. Uh, overstaying and not even really finishing school. And my father, my my mother was actually in Canada first, and my father was in Florida. And they knew each other, but they were they weren't a couple at that time. And they knew they knew each other.、Uh, and my mother hated Canada. I think it was too cold for her. I'm、uh, sure the weather, I guess, <laughs>、yes. pretty. So somehow my. <clears throat> My my father convinced my mom to come down to Florida, where it's sunny and pleasant, perhaps.、Uh, so, and then they ended up getting together, and then I entered the story.、Uh, and I was I lived there for only one year, and but I had an uncle in Texas, and he was I think he basically told them that business was good in Texas then, so they moved to to Texas to Dallas, where where I grew up. Okay.、Yeah. And staying illegally was fine. Like that all got squared away, I guess. Clearly, I mean, at that time, of course, it was a lot simpler.、Um, so this is the whole funny thing, and this is also maybe related to, I think nowadays, I, I wonder if this plays a part. And I, I feel like I have still a lot of identity <laughs> issues.、Um, one, okay, for sure, growing up in Texas, you don't have that same kind of.、Uh, Social foundation that you could get probably if you were an Asian American growing up in New York or on the West Coast, because there weren't there were not so many of us,、um, and the, the the atmosphere I think you can imagine is probably a lot more conservative. Well, where in Texas were you? Dallas. In Dallas. Oh, sorry, in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I know that there's quite a large Taiwanese population now. In, in yeah, there were Taiwanese, but Sugarland or something. Yeah, in the,、uh, yeah. outside of Houston.、Okay. Yes, there are a lot.、Mm. Um, I mean, there are a lot of. Asians for sure still, but when I was growing up at that time, and maybe the the neighborhood that I was growing up in, there were Vietnamese people.、Uh, it was sort of maybe lower middle class. So、uh, my friends actually were mostly black and Hispanic actually when I was was young.、Um, and、uh, what, what, where was I? Where was I? Oh, so the, about the identity issues. So actually, my father entered the states with.、Um, 
a friend's passport. I mean, I think it was kind of all Asians look same kind of <laughs> mode in the, in America, and so it worked, which is kind of funny. I mean, this would never happen nowadays, right? Well, now you got the fingerprinting, you got the, yeah, all that exactly. kind of stuff. They're just going to figure it's, you out. Exactly. So actually, my pa- my birth certificate is is a different family name on it. So actually, Elaine Winga Ho, as I exist now, does not exist somehow as a being uh, being born into this world so it was a different family name so your your birth certificate has a different name from all your other documentation yes yes oh wow yeah because <laughs> yeah because he entered with his uh, friend name uh, his family name is Hoi ah. yeah so this was also a very funny thing maybe I mean, when you're a kid you don't really understand but okay whatever at mm. some point my fam- my parents said we're going to change our name back to our real name and I was like okay so that's when I became a ho uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. I see what you did there. Okay. <laughs> yeah so you in terms of work mm-hmm. I- I'm going to let you unpack that just because so, <laughs> like, I wouldn't even know where to begin okay uh, let's go into that and then I want to come back to the identity crisis thing because I find that having mixed cultural background myself I totally identify with that mm-hmm. but in terms of your work I'm really curious about that let's get into that mm, okay um, you you mean historically or like what work I'm doing now or uh, like, okay. like where so, it comes from okay sort of? good 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 so why don't we start with what you what you studied and what, what you I perhaps studied? set out to do initially uh-huh. and then maybe how that journey changed okay throughout okay um, yeah it has definitely changed so it's been a slow road <laughs> to where I am now and a lot of changes um, I studied undergrad uh, at Rice University in Texas in mm-hmm. Houston actually uh, and at that time um, I mean, I don't know how, how much you want to get into funny stories or anything. I'm all about funny stories. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are always these small things that actually end up making big impacts, right? You don't realize at the time. But I actually really wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. And I, I was kind of one of these really good students, nerd kids. Uh, and my one of these ones, my teachers always said, oh, you're going to be a famous writer one day. And I really enjoyed it. I really like writing. Um but at Rice, uh, where I went to school, so they have the, it's a liberal arts college, and they have this mandatory um, English proficiency test that every incoming student has to take, and they place you in an English course for the first year, based on how you do on this exam. It's a kind of I, th- I think it's well, it doesn't matter, but anyhow. So I took this exam, and uh, I was thinking at the time to major in English, and. Um, we at the time after we took the test we we received the results of these tests and then yeah, you get placed in a class and i somehow just like kind of glanced over it or something like this and i thought that i was in the same put in the same class with my roommates and so we we're all happy and and thought okay we go to class together the first day and um and then they call the role, and she didn't call my name. And I thought, okay, that's strange. And so I asked the teacher, oh, you're supposed to be in a different class. Okay, so then I go by myself to this other class, and I get put in this class with all uh, English as a foreign language, a second language. All ESL students? Yeah, ESL students. And I, and I, I was thinking, well, okay. Mm. <laughs> but mm. I didn't want to be snobby or anything. Right, but you but were born and raised in... Yeah, t- I, was, yeah. I was born and raised in the U.S. Um, and I thought it was good at English you know 
Um, and I, you know, okay, so I sat through the class, and at the end of the class, I, I asked the teacher, you know, are you, I'm sorry, I don't want to be rude or anything, but are, do you, are you sure this is the right class for me? She said, well, this is what it says, so you're supposed to be here. So I sat through this, this class for one whole semester, but it really kind of crushed my confidence. You know, it's also another thing I think about being a really good student is that uh, when you're young, is that you you learn less to deal with failure, you know, in a certain way. Or it's harder on you because you never failed before, right? I totally get it. Yeah. And especially since your your self value, your yes. self worth is tied so heavily. Yes. I would also imagine, and you you correct me if I'm wrong, especially with Asian families in particular. Yeah. yeah. Like your self worth is tied so heavily to your academic achievements that yes. to be considered like not good at something is like, <laughs> no, like you know, and then it can really, it can be really crushing. And yes. so that altered your your trajectory then in terms exactly, of you didn't exactly. become a writer exactly. Or I didn't anyway. major in English anymore. Okay. Exactly. So okay. that's where that kind of begins, and then. Um, I mean, I think that's this whole system. I mean, looking now, of course, this was ages ago. So I think most of us actually don't know what we're doing. And we, that's the whole funny thing about these education systems is that your everything is is so geared for you having to be sure of your track, you know. And there are these certain paths in life, and everybody you have to be confident about it. And I mean, these are all kind of issues that we can discuss related to a, a, a huge, larger socio-political system, but. At that time, okay, I thought, well, me meandering around, what can I do, what can I do? I ended up studying art history. Okay. Uh, uh, that explains a lot more of the yeah, context that, that is, I, yeah, I've met you I'm in. very s slow meandering towards your question of my work and what I'm doing. So I studied art history. Um, and during that time in undergrad, I also studied abroad. Uh, so I was one year in Italy. Uh, and that was also an incredibly eye-opening experience for me because it was the first time where I actually... Um, was with artists because the art history class was I mean we actually did do practice based studio based classes but that school that I went to is not an art school and definitely uh, not so I would say yeah not well known for sure for its art department so I it's, I wouldn't call it very Mm. Are, are you saying though that when you went to Italy you got to experience the more practical element yes, of and art to meet so. and to meet actual artists okay yes uh, okay. Uh, and kind of living and working with them and also at the time being in Italy was just it was the first time for me to live I would say abroad uh, I've I'd been to Hong Kong a lot when I was younger but these were all short trips of course you know um, and yeah I guess so through that experience actually and I had uh, sort of dis at the t all, how do I say this? Like going through these years, I, I tried working in different sort of possible fields that would be related to being an art historian or working in the art world. Um, but I found it all boring because it was still all kind of office jobs, um, nine to five and bureaucratic. Well, it's heavily administrative, right? Exactly. I mean, unless you're unless you become like a scholar at it, or unless you're exactly. curating a lot. But even curating has a huge administrative. But this was not even sort of. Uh, in the vocabulary at that time for me because I mean really coming from I was studying you know uh, Baroque uh, art and architecture so this was curating was not even a thought like at this at this point um, so it was really thinking oh I would work in a museum as an admin or uh, work for an auction house I mean I tried I did internships at all of these kind of places I worked for a dealer in New York at one point I had all these very funny jobs um, 
but I, I didn't like it so much. So then I, I, still being very practical at the time, okay, I thought, okay, I would like to be more, do something creative. I kind of got inspired to make work on my own. What inspired and you? Was it just? I think it was for sure being in that experience in Italy, um, and maybe, I don't know you. Did you feel like since you always wanted to be a writer, like deep inside there was a part of you that wanted to be a creator in some way? Is that part of it? or? Um, I never actually thought about it, but I mean, that makes sense. I think there's I'm probably... Just... No, no, no. I mean, I think that people who have creative impulses, you don't necessarily even like dissect it as such, but you, there are things that you want to make, maybe. You know, you have some ideas. But I was also still practical in the sense of, okay, I need to find a job. What, what is a good way? So I, I moved into design. So this is how it starts veering again. And so after this undergrad at Rice, I ended up moving to New York and studying fashion design. And this is a okay. way of thinking, okay, I can be creative, make stuff, but I will still get a job. And, and I, you know. I identify with this so much because what I did was, so I, I always knew I wanted to be an artist in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought, what degree could I take? What degree could I take that would, I, I could still call myself an artist but yet also feel like perhaps I would be able to earn a living. And so I ended up studying graphic design initially. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and especially during that time, it's like, oh, graphic design, that's a new thing, you know. Yeah. Not new, but like it was, you know, we were all computerized, and then there was just a huge push for people to get that kind of degree. So I studied that. But what happened for me was, and now looking back, I'm really glad that this happened to me, but at the time I, I thought it was terrible, mm -hmm. was um, I got into a car accident. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually got hit by um, by a by like a a lorry by like a what do you call it? A dump like a dump truck? Like it? Whoa! Yeah, yeah. It was bizarre. I mean, I was but okay. You were in a car yeah, yeah. So were... let me let me. Okay. More people. Are like, oh my God, Josh, are you? Okay? Yeah, I'm fine. But what happened was, so I was in a, I was in my my vehicle, and then this car just cut in front of me. But because it's so long, the last wheel just clipped the front of my vehicle and it took the entire bumper off and it took a portion of the of the front of the car off. I was static, but it basically jolted the entire vehicle around. So it was pretty, like had I gone forward maybe another foot or two, yeah. like that could have been me crunched, you know, yeah. under. So, uh, so yeah, it's pretty horrific. But what it did end up making me thinking about was, you know, life, we don't really know what's going to happen to us right right and so right. what so the the question shifted between the question shifted from being what can i do to still call myself an artist and mm. earn a living to what do i need to do to not feel like i'm going to regret my life mm. and then so when i changed the question then i started to then i looked for acting schools i found a conservatory I ended up putting myself through conservatory act, and then and then I not just changed my entire trajectory. This but was, so the accident occurred while you were already studying graphic design. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was I was studying, and I was actually working as a as a as a designer as well for the for the YMCA in San Francisco, like mm -hmm. at the time, and and mm -hmm. so I was kind of doing it and studying it. But then I was like, you know what? I need to change my I need to just change. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did, and so but I I understand that feeling of continuing to search to acquire knowledge that puts you on a path closer to who you really want to be yes yeah and this is what I what I say my sort of uh, frustration I think with how we're so ingrained in that system to to declare and say we are doing this and you have to know that I mean I understand 
if you if you have huge ambitions, of course, you need to be very focused and, and know what that sort of long-term goal is. But most of us are not like that. And um, it's, a, it's a funny thing to go into one field in undergrad when you're 18, 19 years old and think that this is the thing that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. But actually, okay, we maybe nowadays we know that that's not how it is. And all of these things that have happened since then were all sort of part of this very slow refining process of becoming yeah, who I am now. And, and that actually I really appreciate. It's been a really funny thing to see all of these twists and turns, you know, that and, and but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so you studied fashion design. Yes. Then did you get to work as a fashion designer, and was that satisfying? Because it's changed again now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. But let let's go back to that. Yes. So, like, what happened there then? Uh, so I lived in New York for two years. I was at Parsons studying. Yeah. Great school. Yes, it's a very good school. Yeah. But, um, did you enjoy it? Uh, yes, but actually, at the time, I found, I think I. Maybe my taste or my interest in fashion at that time were probably a lot more uh, experimental than what Parsons pushes. Parsons is actually uh, quite a commercial school in the sense they're really gearing you for the particular industry that is happening in New York and, and in the States, which is um, big big mass-produced kind of fashion, right. uh, very wearable commercial kind of clothing. Sure, sure. Um, well, I mean, it's New York, right? I mean, it's... Exactly, yeah. And it, it needs to be practical. They also need to... Because they also... I would assume they needed to also be able to say, hey, look, this percentage of our students that graduate get to work in the industry. Exactly, And so they yeah. need to gear your education yes. towards fulfilling that It's very much about need, the right? trade, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and technically, it's very good. Um, but I just... At that time, I maybe I was already sort of... Um, maybe more of an idealist, I guess, in the sense of thinking thinking that I was doing fashion on a practical ground, but actually the things that I was interested in were absolutely not practical. <laughs> so I ended up uh, transferring. Like what, though? It, it was in the terms of the work that I was doing at that time, like the kind of fashion that I was designing. Um, stuff that... Uh, so I was, more conceptual? Uh, or? Yeah, more conceptual, uh, less not sort of daily wear kind of things. So okay. So, yeah. Um, and I was very much into a lot of uh, a lot of designers that were coming out of uh, Belgium at that time. Um, yeah, in the, I guess this was in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and there's a legacy of a few designers that, that were kind of heroes for me. So I was, this is the time when I started looking towards Europe and romanticizing that kind of <laughs> okay. other continent. Sure. Uh, so I ended up moving to Holland, actually. Um, it was a, a choice either between, I ended up not even applying to the school I wanted to go to in Antwerp because it's so competitive and, and that it's very, very snobby and very intimidating. So I applied to the school in Holland and the school uh, St. Martin's in London. Right. But then so, I... Sorry, hang on. You didn't, you didn't apply because you didn't want to be in an environment where people were snobby or you just didn't feel like you would be able to get in? Um, I know it's a bit of a side question, but I'm just curious why we do what we do and I thought that was an interesting Maybe, why. Maybe a bit, of, a bit of both because okay. I did go visit the school, but they were completely unfriendly and I think... They, I mean, they only accept, I think it's very small number every year and there's just so many horror stories coming out of it and you need a lot of money, of course, to, to, to do fashion, uh, even for those who are students at, from that school because they are working 
really high profile somehow. Uh, so I guess I somehow just got deterred from applying. Um, and I was highly recommended the school in Holland by uh, a friend of mine who I knew in New York who ended up going there the year before me. And he said it was great. So I was very curious about the school in Holland. So you get to Holland. Yeah, I, I didn't go to London because I thought, okay, London, New York, maybe it's probably about the same. And I really wanted a very different experience. Sure. So I moved to this very small town in, in uh, it's near the German border called Arnhem. Uh, and, and yeah, this, I mean, it's a very funny place. It's, I mean, it's a very middle class, working class kind of uh, small city, European city. Uh, but there are still cows around. It's very beautiful and hilly. And, <laughs> and the thought of studying fashion in this kind of environment is also very exotic, actually, now that I think about it. Mm. Um, but it was great in the sense that um, I think it's what a school should be, that kind of attention in a small place allows you to focus and make really good relationships with your peers and maybe those are some of the things that are important to allow you to to create more freely in a way you know um so i really enjoyed it uh but that was just part of the school culture like they designed the curriculum was, yeah, it was, or the coursework was such that it just allowed you guys to do that or um, I think it was also maybe our dynamic between I had some really good friends there so we were actually we at that time we also started making some other projects side projects on our own just because we wanted to like things that were kind of a blur between organizing a party but making it also somehow like a kind of strange art exhibition but we didn't put names to these things at that time we just did things that we wanted to do and we thought it's cool and and fun and you know but for example like um taking over a church for one night or like a I don't know how we got it now that I think about it, but somehow we ended up taking over church and we organized this kind of sleepover thing and we made these installations in the church, but it was and invited people to come and see these installations and then we like slept over together in the church. We did this also in a friend's uh, studio because the building was about to be shut down. I mean, these kind of things. So somewhere in between like a, a party, a gathering, uh, an art exhibition, all this kind of stuff. The intersection there is really, it reminds me a bit of this festival where we're doing the No, no Limit Festival. Mm -hmm. In the sense mm -hmm. you have a space mm -hmm. where you have art occurring, people staying, um, and there's an element of, it sounds like, social activism, perhaps, at least I feel there's a sense of that here, but there you said that the, the structure was going to be torn down, is that right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's, was it just also a way to just bring awareness to it, or you just thought, oh, this would be a good venue as well? Yeah, or? I wouldn't say I was so... Uh, politically concerned at the time um, this was more uh, yeah it was more taking the opportunity of using the space we weren't really protesting okay. or anything like All this right, okay. um, but com I mean sociopolitics on another level we, is about building community I guess in, in that okay. sort of say working with the, your peers and trying to find ways to engage one another through the things that you're making and also the dialogues that come out of this work that you make, right? But not just as practitioners in the world of practitioners, but also with the community that you're practicing in. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Um, and so these were things that we just did somehow while we were in school. Uh, but then the, the sort of negative side or my, <laughs> my own falling out with fashion again is, is comes again from working in the industry. You know, I was also doing internships at this time and <clears throat> at the end of the day, yeah, the fashion industry is really ugly in a lot of ways. It's, and it's still commercial. Even I got kind of let down because I worked for one of my idols at the time. I did an internship in London. And 
that he was really my conceptual idol of what like fashion could be really successful but he's also very intellectual and theoretical and challenging and thought-provoking and this was really great for me but I saw somehow working with him that it was still just about make selling pretty clothes you know and and um, maybe I also sort of grew a late consciousness or, or um, kind of what do you call um, criticism towards this kind of um, social standards that are built into the the media and relations to fashion and how women perceive themselves and all of these things so start to somehow get a little bit disgusted with the whole thing <laughs> uh -huh. was it like the idea that we need to create clothes a certain way so that a it's profitable b it promotes a certain uh, cut or image and that that is what people need to aspire to so therefore make sure the media is also pushing this out there more so that we attract like yeah buying more it, products all, and really like, everything really isn't and, it? and attain you know creating one sort of standard of beauty around the world even you know of what what you are supposed to to be and how you sort of brainwash mm -hmm. young girls into thinking that they need to do this they need to buy this product or they have to look like this i mean it, it's almost exact opposite of what attracts me about fashion, which is also true, but it, it's the thing that it's hard to make, to hold on to when you're working in fashion is this idea that that clothing is just whether you you really consider it or uh, or or not when you're buying or when you get dressed in the morning, it's it's somehow the first layer that distinguishes us from other people and again it's this very interesting juxtaposition between one how we see ourselves and what we want to present but also maybe how other people see us is maybe slightly different from what we think we're presenting mm. and that I always find really interesting or how people group together why do groups that hang out together end up dressing alike all of these kind of things you know um, are very fascinating so it's really actually much more the sociological or concern that I was I realize now that is interesting for me about fashion um, I mean there's almost an anthropological element exactly. too right because it's then we can identify so we have a visual cue to identify then we have then you build a community yes but then this is also where tribalism comes in yes but yes. this is a whole other but yeah yes I see what you're saying yes um, but these were all things that somehow yeah you're not going to unless you have a lot of money and can just support yourself to make your own line uh, which very few people do then right. you're not going to get that opportunity to well, think, think through those kind I of things. I think all artists, majority artists struggle with that regardless like a lot of us have to take certain, do certain gigs that may not be exactly what we want just so we can afford to do the other things we really want to do. Mm. I think that's a common thing so I understand that if you don't start out with a big budget you're going to have to do certain things to Yes. Sacrifice. Yes. You know. Yes. And and people somehow maybe manage to do it. Um, but I guess those kind of side art projects or the people I was meeting at the time or maybe the work that I was seeing or the things that were interesting for me kind of just slowly started veering more back towards art. So mm. this was also this slow trajectory in another direction. I just want to say, though, mm. the, when you were talking about you know the social element and mm -hmm. the whole sort of looking at the whole the overall picture of of, of fashion design and what it means mm. to us that sounds a bit like the the historian brain in mm. you uh, engaging with that industry have you always sort of been 
were you always did you always think like that like just sort of pull back and look at the bigger picture or did or did the gestalt of being in the industry really open that particular door yeah, for I you? I don't think I look at the bigger picture enough. I would love to be able to do that. I get really uh, sort of sucked into details. This is another thing actually I do enjoy about fashion. I, I love to pay attention to to the craft of it actually as well. And um, But the, the finer you want to get into the details, the more expensive the clothes is, the clothes are. And those are not the people who can afford those clothes are not the kind of people actually I really want to be servicing or I need to be that I think they don't you know so there's that that's another kind of disjuncture in the practice that didn't make sense for me at that time you know um, I mean the market capital however you want to frame it the financial element of it colors all industry like every industry has to contend with that that's just a reality yes yes you know, for, for better sure. or for worse I mean for sure I mean know. I can say looking now at, at the art world I mean in a lot of ways it's really similar of course to the fashion world but um, perhaps it's still the fact of me having entered then art through this side door so to speak um, gives me a bit more freedom in this sort of DIY ethos because I was not trained in the academy or within that system as a sort of classical artist would be so I actually feel in a lot of ways that what are they making bread. they've been He's cooking and frying bread. and coffeeing and <laughs> anyway sorry go, go on <laughs> I, will you hear all of this in the I, you, yeah we probably yeah. will it's fine I'll, okay. I'll, I'll see what I can do to do noise reduction Anyway, okay. if you guys are still listening, thank you for bearing with all the background noise. <laughs> I think it's nice to add a sense of uh, the reality of our, our beautiful, luxurious environment right Indeed. now. We'll, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll take a photo here, and yeah. I'll use that. I'll use that as the <laughs> as the uh, the episode photo. Yes. So uh, okay, so where were so, we? So so the side door yeah, into okay. to working in art, and what I mean is that even though that industry uh, that that ki those kind of hierarchies and that kind of um uh level of power structures exist exactly the same in the art world as the fashion world perhaps it's the fact that i didn't enter through the system i was institutionalized in the same way that i can maybe ignore it sometimes a bit better or is also because with art making art although of i work a lot with other people technically you don't need a team in the same way as you would for example if you were making a film or if you were working in fashion uh, so uh, I can do a lot more by myself or on my own and and not have to think about okay uh, entering it into some kind of market or a shop or these kind of questions you know and I'm not interested in in you know signing with a gallery either so I, I can ignore those aspects well there's a certain baggage that comes with being a part of existing within a system and because you acquire the, the culture and, and the practices of it of course of and course. then it becomes a convention which is again I think another area where I feel culture the culture of an industry like this is kind of what we've been talking about really mm -hmm. is the culture of educational institutions the culture of and how it's what drives it mm. right like what is the meaning what why did it why has it evolved to its current state mm -hmm. um, yeah and I always um, uh, my acting teacher, I, th I think she was quoting a guy named Terence McKenna, but she said something. Um, uh, she said, "Culture is not your friend." Hmm. And and 
at the time, and the, the re- and a lot of us were just like, well, what does that mean? Because we yeah. often use the word culture as something that's so wonderful. Right. Oh, culture. Yes. It typically defines the arts or whether it conjures up images of <clears throat> certain you know, quote unquote, ethnic minorities and right. their, and their quaint style of life right. or whatever. But really, within culture, I think what I sort of came to identify, like, come to figure out what that means, was the idea that we identify too much with culture, and therefore, that's fine. There'll be a low rumble in the background, I guess. Mm-hmm. Whatever that. Let's but, turn on the the vent. Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, the idea of yeah, so the idea of when we get so identified with a culture, it prevents us from seeing what is. So I'll, I'll give a very concrete example. Mm, mm, mm. So my mother was born in Hong Kong. Her parents, or my grandparents, escaped from China. Mm-hmm. So this is maybe in the fifties around that time. Mm-hmm. Pretty common story, right? Yes. So a few generations before her, you know, my great grandmother, I think her or whatever whatever but the point is historically women of that culture would have their feet bound mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so would we say that oh feet binding is a part of a culture therefore it's a wonderful thing mm. therefore because it's culture we should accept it right therefore it's culture so we should just everyone should just be okay with it not mm. not look at it critically not mm. not think about it mm-hmm. um, and so I put that with my mother at some point. This idea of like culture, we need to we need to love our culture. We need to be you know oh there's this Chinese culture. Everything I was like yeah I get it, but not all cultures, not everything about every culture is great. Mm-hmm. And to simply say that it's culture and use it as this, use it almost as a cloak mm-hmm. to hide all the other parts of culture mm-hmm. is disingenuous. And but that applies to any culture, mm-hmm. like whether it's culture of work, culture of. Yes. Anything, right? So yes. anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up. Yeah. No, I mean it totally makes sense. Uh, it's what is interesting about it is I think culture in that it's so intricately tied to social groups is it, it becomes then a matter of distinction. You know, it separates one group from another because the cultures are different. So the vocabulary. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and that is necessary to a certain degree for us to be able to uh, form communities that cannot happen on larger scales because of organization or nation states or whatnot. But uh, I think, um, I, d- I don't know actually what my point is right now. <laughs> but it's a not your friend i think that's it it's definitely a challenging statement <laughs> sorry say that again your your this sentence culture is not your friend i have to think a little bit more about it but yeah it triggers right it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's a there's a sort of cognitive dis like you're like well what does that mean it kind of challenge like for me at the time it really challenged how i viewed the world mm. like when i saw and as an artist mm. like what does that mean as an artist as mm. i'm studying to be a performing artist culture is not my friend how do I define culture? Mm. What is culture? What parts of culture have shackled me? Mm-hmm. Perhaps like, and so you just sort of have to think about about it. Yeah, I mean, if it's, I keep now I repeat this again for the third time. This, but this this question of the disjuncture between how you view yourself and how others see you, and I think culture, if we look at it in that way, is this? It goes back again to this thinking okay this is the culture that i grew up with that you take for granted as what is you think that this is the way life works 
because you drink your coffee every morning in this way or because you happen to eat eggs for breakfast versus uh, porridge, for example. Um, but when you are able to look out from the outside, meaning because you move to a new place or because you, set, you switch to a different field, um, you learn from another perspective, then suddenly you realize yeah, that that is also an institutionalizing process and either we learn to critique it and break out of it or to adjust it in a different way. And that process of sort of maneuvering through life, going in and out of different forms of cultures or institutions or uh, systems um, is an is a ongoing process of relating, I think, ourselves as individuals to a world. And that's necessary because we are social beings, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So, okay. So let's bring it back then to mm -hmm. w what it is that you, <laughs> that you started to do for a living after that point. Okay. Because we've talked about, because the, the thing here is we, we're talking about how life experience mm -hmm. has changed the way you work within different industries because mm. yes. you you don't feel like I have to behave in a certain way because you have all this other life experience so your identity has expanded yes so okay so let's go from there now so <laughs> okay uh, so yeah I don't know I had um, I had uh, I guess yeah maybe I was a sort of late blooming rebel some I would say going from being the really good straight A student and kid like who listened to tried to do everything I was supposed to do to slowly like breaking out of these different systems and fields and getting disillusioned with one thing after another and so I didn't know actually at that point uh, I was after Holland uh, I was working there for some time because I didn't know what to do and I didn't think it I didn't even know if I should move, if I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. So I stayed in Holland uh, for a bit, and I worked for a ma an architecture magazine, actually, uh, doing more video work. I also kind of, in that meantime, also started playing around with doing video work on my own. Uh, so I ended up getting a job like doing videography for, for this magazine who was organizing trips uh, around the world. And this was quite nice because then I got a lot of travel experience um, and working in, in also a different field. So you, um, so you on your own also, you, you decided to do something that you wanted to do and that ended up helping you get it a position that allowed you to do what you were also enjoying doing on mm -hmm. your own. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, okay. yeah, basically. And that was actually one thing you didn't go to an institution to uh, to learn yeah yeah I just I mm. was completely did it on my own really learn okay. Final Cut Pro these kind of things or talking with friends getting some tips and stuff you know sure, this sure. kind of thing well the internet's really changed the game right I mean yeah you can sure. you can learn so much without having to go to school like exactly. institutions need to change uh, to adapt to that more like faster I think otherwise it's true we will outgrow the institutions, mm. academia. Well, so. I think the the powers that run the institutions will find ways that that never happens. Well, they, <laughs> I mean, whatever but, you uh, have, yeah, I, I, yeah, but, I know what you mean. But yeah, they they are in a they are in a sort of crisis. A lot of the education systems, at least. Um, but anyhow, so I stayed in Holland uh, for one more year, and I was actually planning to move back to New York because I kind of. Uh, thought okay well where else can I go at this point and I actually really I do like New York um, but 
of course, it's a, such a high pressure place, and it's not so easy, I think, to be in if you're not completely demanding and focused about what you want out of it. So uh, I thought to take a holiday uh, to in China before moving back to New York, just to take a break. And so I, because I had never really lived in China uh, or spent more time in Asia outside of these trips to Hong Kong when I was younger. So I went uh, f for, uh, it was supposed to be one month basically, but that one month got ex extended to a summer, got extended to a year and on and on. And I've been in China now for, for 11, uh, f f fifth, no, 2005, so 11 years, 11 years. Yeah. <laughs> which is a long vacation <laughs> but <laughs> well listen if you've been able to pull off an 11 year vacation <laughs> you're doing something right live and work and, and, and enjoy actually these things are all very mixed together in my world somehow <laughs> that's the dream <laughs> we're trying <laughs> yeah so in the 11 years working in in the Far East. Mm -hmm. Can I still say the Far East? Is that politically is that acceptable? In, in China, I guess. Mm. It's fine. People, you can tweet at me if you want to say I'm culturally insensitive. <laughs> um, but anyway, so what, what, what did you end up doing? doing then? Like, So you, you have videography background, fashion design background, art history background. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Then you become like the odd job master. That's really what I am, I think. Can I get a high five for that? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm often, because people say, what do you do, Josh? I was like, uh. <laughs> and then you, it's, it becomes like a, a two-minute sort of spiel about. Yes. So, but go on. Tell us your spiel. I mean, yeah, there have just been, a, uh, there have been, of course, a very long string of random jobs. Some taken more desperately in times of need for for the cash and and other things thinking that they could develop into other things but uh i don't i don't want to go into detail of all of all of these random jobs but uh it's also this th this process of somehow coming closer to what i want to try to do with my own time or my own work as a as an artist and so uh, I stopped doing, uh, you know, full-time jobs and this kind of things and became a full-time freelancer, basically, as a way to still support myself but be able to spend more time on the, on the work that I want to do. Um, and in Beijing, I guess the most important thing was, was developing this space home shop uh, that uh, I worked on uh, with other colleagues for, for five and a half years. Uh, and this was something, I mean, it, I guess the easiest way to make it understandable is, is to call it somehow like a, a Wooferton, but in in Beijing. So Wooferton in Hong Kong is, can, can you can you just explain oh, briefly what that is for the so listeners who don't Wooferton know? Wooferton in Hong Kong is a, a community art, this is the, the, the phrase that is, I suppose, well-liked in the in the world, in, the, in that sphere, uh, is community art space. But uh, yeah, it's very much about artists uh, getting together with activists perhaps or theorists but uh, trying to collectively use a space as a way to engage the community or consider the socio-political possibilities of working within the community and what can be altered or changed or perspectives um, brought together via that space and the projects that are coming out of it. Um, and we, of course, are not so politically direct as, as the people at Wooferton are, and, and that's obviously understandable for a lot of reasons being in Beijing. Um, 
and and we also were I would say more self-funded than Wolverton. We didn't. There are no. There are virtually no sort of uh, funding opportunities like there are in Hong Kong in the mainland. Uh, so I mean, the initial space was really a very modest. It was my house actually. So this is why where the name Home Shop comes from. Okay. Um, and it was the place that I rented to live in and work in, but it was actually also a storefront space. So it was also about expanding this sort of idea of some so-called private life with your public life and playing with the architecture of, of a commercial enterprise uh, without engaging in any kind of commercial activity. It's a commercial s space. It's also a private space, mm -hmm. but it's a social enterprise. Would, would that sound... Yeah, yeah. Okay. In a way, yeah. I mean, all of these things are very blurred, um, but and they're also, but they're also, really, coming out of sort of impulses of let's try things out and let's make it into a platform and see what will happen. You know, I didn't have, I mean, at the time that I started this space, I actually was not so educated in, in this whole kind of genre of so-called community art or a lot of socially engaged practices that are, of course, been talked about for a long time. But I wasn't. I hadn't been reading up on all these things. I just did it because I was interested in that area and it was what I could afford at the time and there were a lot of open questions that gave me space to play with as an artist, right? Um, when you say open questions, anything in particular? Like I mean, one being this question of, okay, what is public space and private space? These things are already very, very blurred in the Chinese context um, because how, yeah, sorry, go on, how so, I was going to say how so. I mean, so. in the sense that, okay, there's not technically private property in that same sort of, especially theoretically and conceptually, but also, okay, in actuality, private property doesn't exist in the same way as, as it has uh, historically come to be from the West. Um, and people's social attitudes toward the way they behave in public space or the way they um, treat uh, what is mine or what is yours or what is ours is very, very different somehow. And those things were quite fascinating for me, not growing up in the mainland, but kind of getting used to it, living there. And those are all sort of trigger questions that made me want to react in a way, or excited kind of dialogues or things that I was happening and that, that were happening and that I was doing in that area. So it was kind of a curiosity to explore this concept, which <coughs> kind of helped spawn home space. Home shop. Home shop, excuse yes. me, home no shop. No problem. Home shop, okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I got you. Mm -hmm. So, w w what happens at Home Shop? And, and it's still running now? No, 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 no. Oh, actually, not. so yeah, we also ended even sooner than Wooferton, actually. Mm. Uh, we were there, started in 2008, and it went on until the very end of 2013. Yeah. Uh, was it? Did you feel you achieved what you wanted to? Well, that's that's exactly what I mean about this kind of. It's a, it's coming it's coming maybe in my whole life but also with this space exactly it's it's not it's not about establishing a specific goal and saying okay I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to do all of these things that I need to do or I I'm going to get the the wife and the kids and the car and the house I mean this is somehow things that really fell away from how I perceive how how I want to live in the world somehow. I, I question all of those institutions and those cultures that we've kind of sort of become, uh, we, we've naturalized for ourselves. But And 
So I, I really naively began this space. You can, it, it has its advantages and disadvantages, but really, I really, these things for me all started because I thought, I have a question actually. It's not because I had a goal, but it, because you have questions. And you use the practice as a way to try to answer those questions or to research them or to find more questions, to, to dig a bit deeper really. Um, so it's not about saying, okay, I have this thing that I wanted to achieve. Okay, I've done it. Now we can go home. You know, um, it's an ongoing process. Uh, As a personal goal, did you did you feel like personally you did you grow in the way you had hoped, or was it just it, it was very it was very open ended? So you just wanted to simply experience this, try this, and see what happens out of it. Um, I mean, if, if it depends on. Maybe if you talk to me on a good day or a bad day, there were, of course, because it ended in, uh, in a way uh, that was, we actually ended very ironically with a democratic vote. Because at, the, at the, that time, the space is sort of collated to becoming a group of about seven or eight of us. And we ended up deciding by a democratic vote if we should continue or not. Uh, and... It was it was really hard, and there I I was really kind of on the fence about about it, and I actually voted to to stop. My my vote was to stop, but I really had a lot of questions, and I was not sure. And um, the space ending, of course, is a bit is a, was hard on me. Uh, and it's your baby, right? I mean, yeah. Also, yeah. also. So, in certain senses, I would say I was disappointed, or that we didn't take it further or that uh, maybe yeah maybe there are a lot of questions that still could be pursued uh, with that project but the point is is that it was not able to in that particular context and so we find other formats in which we want to continue asking the questions continue working um, so I don't know I mean to answer what for sure there are a lot of things that um, I, I learned so much, actually. Yes, and there um, are. <coughs> Excuse me. It's all good. <laughs> uh, and I, I do think we really did a lot, and I think uh, I really appreciate. Uh, if you look at the the sort of body of work that we did, there were a really a really amazing projects and uh, very interesting explorations that a lot of people were not doing at that time, and and. There's been a more recent years, a kind of second wave rise of artist-run spaces in Beijing, especially. Uh, and then, it, yeah, of course, it makes you kind of like raise your eyebrow because our time is finished in that in that context. And then you think, oh, well, we were doing those things, too. And, and um, maybe we, because of the certain ambiguities that were built into the way that we work, we were not we're not so easily consumed as for example, um, a traditional exhibition-based like gallery or project space, you know, people are a lot of the time confused about what we were doing. <laughs> um, but I live also with that confusion. So, <laughs> so okay, perfect segue. Then let's go into the the confusion of, of, of identity. Then. So you mentioned that earlier on. Mm -hmm. What? What kind of questions come to mind? <clears throat> what it is? What is it about your identity that is? 
gives rise to questions for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, as I, I think I said before, I didn't grow up with that confusion. You know, I when you're a kid, how you grow up, what you eat, those are the things. Those are the most normal things in the world, and you think that this is the way the world is, and. It's only when you start seeing other things that other people live differently or eat differently or have have a I don't know yeah different I get kinds you. when of you see other things then you yeah then, then it you start to realize that actually okay maybe some are um, whatever you, whatever you think normal is or whatever you think is strange or, or whatnot but because there's a comparison <clears throat> now, right exactly so. exactly and I think because of the context of China. Um, those way, is this nice background music for this particular topic? It's very exciting. I think Sorry. this will make the story much more <laughs> interesting, probably. <laughs> Keep going. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I think, and me having, okay, lived in Europe also, and looking at the States from another angle, and then coming to China and being faced with, I'm sure you get this question all the time, about, oh, do you feel more Chinese or do you feel more American? And it's a horrible question, <laughs> but you have to deal with it all the time. Yeah, I mean, f- for me, I guess, visually, if you don't mind me saying like, mm-hmm. it's, I look more ambiguous <laughs> uh, in terms of eth- ethnicity, so right. I get it. And it's usually, but I often find, uh, let me see if you get this as well, who I am, so you mentioned earlier about the idea of how we view ourselves and how, how others view us mm-hmm. and how there's a, there's a difference with that. Mm-hmm. Do you ever deal with um, the idea that who you are to other people depends on the narrative that they're trying to put out? So, example, so I'll give you an example. Um, when it's convenient for certain people, so let's say I have, I have a group of Hong Kong friends, very local, very Hong Kong friends. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's depending on the context they may say oh but you're hong kong but you're from hong kong mm-hmm. you're, you're from hong kong you're one of us but then if they're talking about something else or whatever and they want to make a point about whatever it is that they're referring to and they want to other they need a scapegoat then it's convenient for them to be like oh, what do you know yeah you guai you westerner <laughs> you know white boy what do you know but it's like okay but Two days ago, I was your homeboy, and like we were all on the same level playing field. But now you want other me, so that yeah. Like, do you get that a lot, and how does it manifest for you? But we also play that game as well. I mean, that happens to us. Yes, I, think, I, but, I would be I would be lying if I didn't yeah. use that to my personal advantage. Yeah. But but it's my identity. Yes. But I guess we don't really own our identity. That's the other part of it, right? That's exactly yeah. it. it. Because like in the same way you put on your clothes and you think you made these decisions today, but actually <laughs> who knew what kind of media brainwashed you into thinking that this was the coolest thing that you should be wearing right now, you know? <laughs> this kind of stuff. Well, I, I guess but, but so but that brings up free will. The idea yeah. of what, yeah. does free will truly exist? I mean, right. do I really know what I'm going to be saying next? Like mm-hmm. is this truly on my own volition? Not necessarily. Anyway, that's a whole other philosophical question. But back to identity though. Mm-hmm. Um, we do do that ourselves. Mm-hmm. But I mean in terms of your experience because that is your experience. Mm-hmm. What's that been like? For for you like what kind of questions do you get or is there any uh, I'm always the other that's the thing I'm almost constantly the other I think I have to be in the other (laughs) makes both of us I mean that's the thing when I went to when I was doing the residency at at Wolferton in 2013 
uh, Feng always introduced me to other people as the artist from Beijing. Which, if you tell the artists in Beijing that I'm the artist from Beijing, they they think it's a big joke, right? I'm I'm either the American or I'm the the Hong Kong. You know, I'm always somewhere where we're not basically from mm. here. And 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 now here we were the artists from Hong Kong, but both Ming and I here in Japan actually doing this project or participating in the No Limit Festival. Uh, we were the we were the Hong Kong representatives, but we actually are currently in Shanghai uh, and so it's all a big mess. so I understand people are confused and people have to ask me so where are you exactly these days <laughs> so I, I think sometimes it is harmless it is genuinely yeah, like, yeah, like yeah, you, I you've don't lived there and, therefore, and, and, that, and that's a big part of it is yes. it's just that's and I think it's important in our position to be okay with yeah. explaining and talking and sharing yes. like that's I hate to use the word responsibility but we kind of do have a responsibility to just educate people on on that topic or mm -hmm. of, of who we are or where we're from and that this is more and more people are like this in terms of traveling around and having life experience throughout the context of different parts of the world um but yeah and do you ever feel do you ever feel there's a malicious part of it um mm. whether it's deliberate or not or have you ever felt Okay, are there any particular memories, perhaps even when it was early on, did you felt clearly singled out? Or your identity was used in a way, or manipulated in a way to portray you as something you perhaps didn't feel you were? Um, I think when it gets, these kind of forms of othering get reduced to, uh, yeah, a label of being American or being Chinese or being Hong Kongese is that already is as is completely uninteresting to me because it's not sort of really asking a question of of yeah explaining that story of what that means i mean you not even a chinese person can can define that what is chineseness this is also a huge identity issue for Hong Kongers, but for, for everyone. And so when you can pass it off so easily, it does annoy me sometimes. I know people don't mean it maliciously, um, but I would much rather engage in a conversation with you where we could exchange these stories rather than just say, oh, you're the Lao Wai or you're the Guai Zai or whatever, right. these kind of things. Right. You know? Yeah. This is exactly why I'm doing this podcast, to mm. explore this topic, because identity and culture is a conversation. Mm. Exactly. Um, Beyond ethnicity, beyond country of origin, beyond place of birth. Yes. There's so much more. Exactly. And this is, again, <laughs> this whole thing about, you know, how we see ourselves and how others see us. I see this also as a conversation because I don't think that culture, it's not, it, it's never simply us and what we want to be. And it's never simply what others think of us or place upon us and it will always happen in this kind of space in between two people which occurs yes as a conversation or a dialogue or a development of how we form together and this is where community kind of comes starts really um, so I completely agree with you and that yeah I find that really interesting then that you you've 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 summed up then your sort of goal actually for this podcast in a very nice way thank you well i, I, just, <laughs> I think I, I mentioned this early on like that the idea of this podcast is people that do interesting things this mm -hmm. is where people that have lived an interesting life or do interesting things mm -hmm. and 
culture and identity meet mm -hmm. and it's just purely a conversation that happens with those elements like mm. that is that's all this really mm. is about and mm. through it we get stories through it we get insight through it we learn and we experience and that's just like it's i don't know to me personally i'm just curious about this and yeah i, I think it's a meaningful thing which is why i've started this thing and i hope other people are enjoying it and but you, you like when I saw you, when I when I saw you here, I was like, yes, I, I was like, I, I want to. Elaine would be a great really? get for me. Yeah, I was like, she'd be a great get for the podcast. <laughs> <Funny>. <laughs> so I'll disclose that. My now. confusion can filter into your stories. <laughs> well, I, I guess I, I guess also in some ways I feel there's a certain parallel, like there's a certain mm, yes kinship, I guess, yes. in terms of the fraternity of of multicultural, yeah, you know, yeah. individuals. So yes, yeah, yeah. I'd like to ask you then, mm -hmm. as someone who's who has, for your young age, experienced quite a bit um, in terms of career or living abroad or whatever, is there anything you would, looking back, what would you share to perhaps your younger self? Or if it helps you to think about it, people that are listening, perhaps, what kind of, what would you share to people? What kind of advice would you give? Oh, I'm terrible at giving advice, actually. Well, <laughs> um, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Or, or just what would you say? And if and if this becomes a longer conversation, so be it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I don't need a soundbite. I just want to hear what you have to say. I think this. I actually this may be some advice I'm giving to myself at the at the moment. Actually, it, coming out of this conversation we're having, uh, and realizing yeah how indeed this ambiguity or all of this kind of uh, question seeking or questions wallowing in kind of states are actually really wonderful because i think that is exactly the thing we're pushed into uh, for various reasons we're pushed into the structures and the institutions at such a high speed and you you you, th you forced to go into a PhD because you're not sure what you want to do these these things because you feel like you have to attain that degree and you feel like you have to achieve these life markers but why not let us kind of dwell in the questions a bit more I think that actually I would like for myself also to be a bit more uh, adamant about the question for me the question is everything because the question is the point where you begin to reflect and you open up this possibility for finding different questions, for finding different kinds of answers, um, and without saying, "Okay, uh, I already have a hypothesis of what the answer is going to be." And this is what I mean by this thought of an open platform. I think that so often that goal orientation is so strong in our society now, and everything is about efficiency and productivity and. Um, yeah, maybe I, there's something a bit more romantic in me that is longing to, to hold on to a little bit more time so that we can actually really more to explore a bit more without having it all predefined, you know? How much of that baggage is... That's such... That's... Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, those, these little... Yeah, those little disjunctures that have. I remember very early on, actually, uh, being with some friends when I was in probably middle school or something, and we were. I think it must have been before Halloween or something, and we were discussing about what we were going to dress up as, 
and at this time we were we were talking about how oh it, the, tw- the the roaring 20s was so cool and we wanted to be flappers or something and so i started sort of placing myself mm. in that role and i thought well i'm a chinese girl if i lived in the states at that time i probably wouldn't have that possibility to be this cool flapper girl i would be like some you know handmaid washing clothes perhaps or i wouldn't be in the states at all and so then you already realize that okay your trajectory your history but also then your futures and what your possibilities are somehow they are defined by different institutions and and different races or cultures what belongs to you or what do you want to adapt to these are all kind of ongoing processes and i also and i'm also wondering if a part of that is because of our the confusion as you put it put it earlier of of identity that because of that we gravitate towards blurring lines and yeah. fi- trying new yeah, things you know what definitely, i mean definitely so I think, yeah so then and yeah in in a way yeah we it's it's the same i we're playing that game uh, as well and uh i'm interested in those things because i also dwell in it right um and that's the the perspective that i come at or come from <laughs> So what's next for you? What's next for me? Another move. This is the the whole irony is that I re- yeah, as I said, I did I really never saw myself as this jet setter person, but uh since since the closing of of Home Shop, uh I ended up leaving Beijing and I kind of been drifting for a long time now, which is completely insane because yeah, I I don't think of myself as so mobile, but I ended up be- having to move a lot in the last couple of years. Uh, so I've been a lot around Hong Kong and Shenzhen, and I had some residency projects uh, in Europe uh, in the last period. And now this year, I, I've been based in Shanghai, but I uh, prefer, I think, still to keep going south. Mm-hmm. So I will come back to Hong Kong later this year. <laughs> so we we'll get to see more of you then. I would hope mm-hmm. that we get see more of each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any particular kind of project? That's moving you back to Hong Kong, or is it just a desire to move? Um, this the display distribute project that I've been working on with Ming for the past year it has grown in terms of my engagement with it, uh, and it's 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 great. It's actually very nice for me because uh, I got it's nice to get excited about a project again uh, in this way, and so in the sense that again there are a lot of triggers that of for questions that I want to explore that I don't have answers for yet and that curiosity makes me want to push it further um, and so this is why sorry this is why the the Shenzhen Hong Kong border um, and that kind of region is somehow applicable and why we why I think it works to try it out isn't it interesting that you specifically talked about a border and then we were just talking about busting borders, and, and right, I just find that find yeah. that parallel. Yeah, it's all coming together finally. But but what is this project you said? Display and distribute. Display distribute. Uh, it's actually a platform that Ming started in 2013. Um, really, as a more Ming is your, Ming's your Ming Lin your friend, is yeah. is a friend and collaborator that uh, I got to know a bit better in Hong Kong at that time. We were both living there. And she began it really more as a sort of, uh, you could call it an anthropological kind of observation study where she had discovered this phenomenon of these 
uh, rent by the day kind of spaces that exist in Hong Kong. They, I think they have them in China also, but there's a very particular system in the, the version in Hong Kong in which they operate by a website and a phone number where basically you just call and say, oh, I would like to have this space on this day. Uh, is it available? And you transfer money to them and uh, they... Uh, you transfer money and then you go to a concrete block that doesn't even have a lock on it. You bring your own lock and then you can use it as your space to do what you want. I mean, it's primarily small vendors selling things very often that they've brought over from from Hong Kong or sorry from from China. So things like clothing, mobile phone covers, life insurance, um, all this kind of uh, parallel trade things. Uh, so this is running Cheap right goods. running right now actually. Yeah, this is this is and okay, I am it's a I didn't explain it probably. This is a model that has existed in Hong Kong already. And Ming uh, because there was one of these shops near where she lived, uh, she began documenting them every day because it was it's a very funny phenomenon to see the same storefront but the 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 objects that are being sold there are changing once every couple of days. Uh, but out of that observation kind of uh, you began to sort of trace this kind of network of goods and a certain kind of logistics that are enabled by this region in uh, Hong Kong, Shenzhen border somehow. And so I think it ties into a lot of our interests, one in sort of how globalized production sort of meets with an individual just doing his thing and trying to make his buck for the day. That kind of very intimate story, but also the way that these sort of gray zones that happen because of the sort of detritus of capitalism that, that are enabled by this. Uh, and so Ming also organized a few exhibitions in these spaces uh, where she also rented it for the day. Uh, and there have been a couple other parallel projects that come out of it. And I sort of entered the project um, last year. We started working together. Uh, so one arm of this now that we're doing and experimenting with is to develop an alternative distribution platform for independent publications. And that comes out of my experience partially of being a publisher as well. We did, uh, we did our own sort of magazine at, at Home Shop. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that was part of one of the projects, I suppose, that we were working on at the time. We'd, we only did three issues. We, we wanted to do it as a, as a, as a, like an annual issue, but... Or maybe even in my my earliest uh, imagination, I thought we could do it twice a year, but it's just too much work and too much money that so it ended up being a biennial. So once every two years, we put out this magazine, uh, and I my own kind of experience was that it's very easy if you have the skills and you have the patience and the energy to, to invest yourself to make a publication, it's not that hard. You know, a zine or a journal or a magazine, you can do it because I, I have the possibility. Yeah, I DIY learn how to do some graphic design. I can write, I can translate a bit. I mean, we, we managed to pull our, our skills together and we can put out this thing. But the problem is, is once you get into the question of distribution um, and how to share your uh, your publication with readers is very hard um, because uh, either you have to you you lose a lot in shipping or uh, you can't even get into bookstores for various reasons because you're just one little publication and they're usually working with big companies so it's very very hard um, and then this 
that question of distribution and logistics is very much a part of the, the whole display distribute project. So we have decided then to use um, the book publishing as one arm to explore that question. Uh, but this idea of a kind of strange network that is enabled, and this is one of the reasons why we came to No Limit also, is because we are very much interested in what these possibilities are uh, among, or I feel very much there's a lack of, of dialogue between Asian countries. And um, trying to understand, I, I'm very impressed actually with the way Matsumoto-san has been able to put all of this together and... He's an absolute beast. Like he's, he's galvanized an entire community yeah, there are about a, a hundred of us here, I Ridiculous heard. from yeah. what? Is it, is it 12 countries or something? something or eight countries? It's like, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but not just that, like not just that world from all from all around the region. He's got multiple mediums going on. Yes, right? yes. Music, art, uh, arts and like crafts. We have talks and stuff. We have mo we have a, film. a little film. Yeah, a little mini film festival happening. This is absolutely great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So this is this is part of this has inspired you. Is what you're saying? Uh, uh, yes. I think to see how it can happen because I've participated uh, in other programs that sort of try to gather different practitioners from Asia to to work in dialogues and they work or don't work to varying degrees uh, and this rendition is interesting because it's completely independent it's it's not something funded by some you know huge government or ngo or foundation or something like this and yet to do it on this scale then when you're completely independent uh, is is crazy actually <laughs> um so yeah yeah I, I i guess you could say i have been inspired a bit and um the project that with the publishing also has this similar goal to sort of enable a greater degree of exchanges between different independent publishers in Asia. So that's another one of the reasons why we are looking in one to tap into this and to get to know other people who are working in this realm uh, and uh, hopefully make this network we're setting up the system so that this kind of network of nodes maybe like the the wing tut, uh, how they have these different nodes in Hong Kong. We're trying to set up different nodes all over Asia for this uh, sort of almost like a distro kind of system where publications, our collection of publications from different people can be represented in different places. Awesome. <laughs> and, and again, but that's going to, for someone that doesn't identify as a jet setter, you're going to be traveling quite a bit then, I would imagine, over the next, the next year during uh, this project? Well, I mean, the, ideally, it wouldn't be us traveling. I mean, I, if we can get this sort of slowly set up, the, the funny thing is that we're also trying to uh, avoid everything being um, careered by relying on a jet setting of, of everyone. Because actually, there is a lot of, yeah, there is a lot of this kind of cultural travel, work-related travel or holiday travel going on everywhere nowadays and so part of the 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 funny uh, aspect of this project is that we're relying on this kind of uh, surplus space of people just happen to be going somewhere to help us bring books here and there so hopefully it's not me doing all of this <laughs> I, well i might be going to <clears throat> i might be going to do busan for a week later this year for, oh, wow. um, for artists in residency kind of stuff so if you okay. need stuff going to korea let me know okay <laughs> yeah i will we actually have a really great um, 
magazine uh, from Seoul that just started this year, which is called Workers. And they are focused on sort of labor, uh, youth labor issues. Um, and feature it's really really well done it's unfortunately only in Korean mm. um, but it, it looks great and I've heard a lot of good things about it and it's been really well received by people we've shared it with so I, I will say that one of the things part of the I think the lack of communication you mentioned earlier between Asian countries is the language barrier of course and I think yes. that that's I mean if that is something that you guys can help address in some that way. is actually another project that i'm working oh on. really I, yeah you got so many projects <laughs> this is awesome this is awesome um but but i mean that that is definitely something that's really really important yes um, i totally accessibility i totally agree in that regard, so. yeah 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 the translation project is actually a website that i'm currently building uh, to tr- <clears throat> But they're all, I mean, it's, again, it, this whole DIY thing means that everything takes a long time because I don't have, I still have to do jobs to make money sometimes. And so some things, they become very stretched out as slower processes. But this website uh, ideally is a sort of Wikipedia format to allow a sort of collective translation process to happen uh, for texts. Uh, that are related to practices that we're interested in. So socially engaged practices or, uh, I mean, very similar to the to the work that is happening here at No Limit. Uh, so we're from artists or activists or uh, academics, uh, theoreticians, uh, relating to perhaps community practices or uh, independent art spaces around Asia to put texts on this website and then they could be translated sort of hopefully by very proactive volunteer translators who want to play around but then of course because it's a collective process in the Wikipedia it's also a kind of living text and this is what I find really fascinating that it could be changed constantly over time by different people I gotcha so basically so let's say you have an article you want to or you have something you want to have translated uh, you post it up yeah. People can engage with it, yes. interact with it, translate it. Then it gets, then it's there. Yes. And then it just stays there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, and then, it's like an online magazine in a way, but right. its uh, main fo- focus is about that these are things that can be or we would like to have be translated. Well, that's great though, because then that the the original author can just simply link to the different languages that their article's been translated into yes. and just copy and paste and then you have it. Yes. That's actually pretty clever. Yeah. I hope huh. I hope it will work. I mean, of course it relies on the 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 nerdy willingness of some random people out there to do some translation or to attempt parts of it. Uh, so after we are able to launch it, then we'll we'll just have to see but hopefully it's focused enough that there, I, I mean, obviously we see from this experience here in Tokyo that there are a lot of people that, and that are interested in a lot of similar topics and we do have a lot that we want to share and exchange with one another. So hopefully this website could be one uh, manifestation of that. I think. How can people follow you and find out more about you? Do you have any, any, <laughs> anything you want, any, any sites you have or anything you want to... Um, oh, there's a long list of sites. <laughs> this, I would uh, the, imagine so. The, the Wikipedia project is not up yet, really, uh, because it's not finished yet. But I'm f- for sure, if any of you out there are interested or would like to help and work on it, uh, then contact me directly. Uh, my the, the Display Distribute project is displaydistribute.com. 
you can find out there about some of the projects we've been doing as well as the publications actually can be purchased online um, what other things I, I, I have a w my personal website for my work uh, and that's indexofho.net is this what I should be doing is just yeah, commercial yeah. blasting yeah, just plug, out just all my, <laughs> all pl my plug yourself girl plug, plug, it, plug it plug it plug it plug <laughs> it it sounded a bit dirty but you know what I'm saying plug, <laughs> plug. Um, no I, I'll, I, I can stop it there at home shop you can find also homeshop.org.cn uh, I don't uh, I, I actually would prefer actually if somebody wants to have a chat with me email me I, I have a real uh, I, romantic nostalgia for email and I don't do it anymore so much because everybody of course has switched to other social media but I really love I've been known to write epic emails sometimes that annoy people when we're trying to get work done but I actually really love writing personal letters to people <laughs> so we could have a conversation by email you can email me um, and this is also very long sorry it's okay you probably have to say it and spell it out but okay it's ho my last name h-o at I wish I could describe it to you better dot net that, uh, that yeah. also sums up a lot it's important for me. <laughs> I think that's perfect. I think that does sum, sum you up and sum all this up absolutely perfectly. And thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Really appreciate thank it. Hopefully you. I'll see you again in Hong Kong. No, hopefully. Let's, we will. Yeah, let's hang out more. Um, yeah. And feel free to send me an epic email. And I, just, I do just want to say this. It's amazing that email has you've attached the word nostalgia to email like we're already at that point in our history yes that there's it's a nostalgic true. element of it it's really true yeah y'all heard it email her folks <laughs> that's what's up thanks again thank you much appreciated <laughs> thanks josh <laughs>